0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, June the 5th. Of course, you can check out the show at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Go to the Talkie Mets link at the top menu. Check me out on the iTunes store, on SoundCloud. If you want to interact with me, go to Twitter at MikeSilvaMedia. Send me a personal note, MikeSilvaMedia.com. Hope everybody's weekend is going well. Mets just... Uh, and uh, play the the final game of the three-game series of the Marlins as they embark on this road trip. Interesting week that just passed. It's a fun show uh, we have for you today. Russ Langer, Las Vegas 51's play-by-play voice will join me. Had a chance to catch up with Russ uh, earlier in the weekend when the 51's were playing uh, Tacoma uh, out in Vegas. Russ is going to give us a pretty extensive breakdown of the top prospects at AAA. We'll get into the offensive bump of the Pacific Coast League. I also talked about Wally Backman and Frank Viola. He had some very interesting things to say about Wally. I certainly want you guys sticking around and listening to that. So get a chance to talk to the voice of the Mets top affiliate. Uh, There are going to be potentially some changes to the strike zone. I don't know if you guys have been reading that over the weekend. The MLB competition committee is taking a look at that. Danny Nobler has been uh, doing some reporting with Jason Stark over at ESPN about it. Uh, Danny is the MLB lead writer for Bleacher Report, a longtime writer at CBS Sports. He's also got a book coming out. I mean, this is a Mets show, but if you're interested, it's uh, called "The uh, Numbers Don't Lie: The Biggest Numbers in Detroit Tigers History." So he's got a book coming out. We'll give him a plug on that, and we'll get into we're we're at the third of the way through the season. What is uh what does Danny say? What does Danny think? What does he have to say? And and obviously we'll incorporate that into where the Mets are at. But where we are now, fifty five games in. And I mean the season is just flying. It's amazing. When I was preparing and putting some notes together for today's show, I said to myself, I remember when we started on this this journey, uh, opening night, the, the this the that Sunday, I was like, and I and I've been talking about that fifty game mark for weeks now. And I said, geez, here we are. We're fifth we're past the fifty game mark. So it's a good time to summarize where the Mets are at after their one nothing loss today. And I'm not gonna get crazy about today's game. You're facing a really, really good pitcher. If, if, I mean, if, you know, you've seen Kershaw over the last couple of weeks. You've seen Scherzer, Strasburg. The Mets have faced some really good arms over the last couple of weeks. And Jose Fernandez is right there. Put a little mustard on that hot dog, though. What is that? Fernando Rodney in the uh, in the dugout today with the uh, arrow into uh, into space. I didn't think Fernando Rodney was on the Miami Marlins, but anyway. After today's game, the Mets are on pace to win 91 games, and and, and that's a game better than last year, and and I, I've been wavering back and forth as I'm thinking about it. Is this team overachieving or under, underachieving, since you really have to grade them on the outstanding pitching? With the pitching that they've received, you can make the argument, I mean, geez, this is a team that should be right up there with the Cubs. I mean, not the Cubs. The Cubs have that that wild start to the season, but... You know, how do you feel about this team? Because in the last 10 days or so, you haven't felt that great. I mean, for the most part, the, the pitching has been really good. The bullpen up until the last 10 days was outstanding. It's, it's taken a little bit of a hit. But then you look and you say, all right, look, you've lost three pieces from the opening night lineup. No Wright, no Darno, no Duda. But at the end of the day, that's part of the game. and I, I mean, you don't want to lose three members of the uh, of the offense before June 1st, but any team... Who, who goes through this process? Unless you have a charmed season, and uh, you know, even look at the 2006 Mets, who had a pretty charmed regular season. They lost Pedro Martinez. You know, they're starting John Maine in a playoff game. That wasn't the plan in spring training that year. If you want to win a championship, you have to go through that, and that's why, uh, you know, as the what is it, Queen, right? You know, in that song, we are the champions. They say it's no better roses. That's 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 the way this thing goes. So. I think the thing is this, you know, offensively, you have to look at it. Other than the nobody's been consistent. I think Conforto was going through what you would expect a little bit of a sophomore year slump, especially over the last five weeks. He looked good today. He looked good this week and he's starting to come out of it a little bit. I would expect Granderson to heat up. Look, he's a uh, streaky player to begin with. Walker is basically who you, you see. The guy's going to pop home runs, hit about 280, give you pretty solid defense. Maybe he's giving you a bit more power, especially from the right side, and his hitting from the right side has been the biggest difference because you thought you might have to platoon him against lefty pitchers, and so far you haven't had to do that. You've gotten a lot of consistency from Cabrera at short. He's about as steady as they come. That's the kind of veteran presence you want at shortstop. And although maybe the metrics say he doesn't have the range that you would want at the position, I mean, to me, he just does everything you want at shortstop. I can't. I can't uh I can't complain. Look, they're piecing the offense together. But outside of Darno, I mean I keep hearing the media this week talk about, well, you know, they're gonna have to piece it together till their their guys come back. But outside of Darno, who's starting a rehab assignment, so I think he'll be a couple of weeks away, I don't think he could expect Duda to come back. I don't know what this, this whole back situation is, and if he does, what is he gonna be? And and the tricky thing is this, in this lineup with this power, I'm not saying I want Loney over Duda. But Loney is a good fit. Loney's almost like Dave Magadan. I know you guys are rolling your eyes. I mean, I know he has no power. He's got a good glove. He makes contact. you got enough home run power in this lineup. You need guys who are going to make some contact, especially with two outs. Maybe move runners along, have productive outs. That was one of the biggest issues over there. Not saying, you know, all of a sudden you should go and give up on, on Duda and, 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 and not play him when he comes back. But I'm not expecting Duda. I I don't know what to expect from Duda. When you have a back injury, coming back is tricky. It's also going to do something to his power. I don't know what kind of player he's going to be when he comes back this year. The right situation, you know, that's the one that you guys have to have a reality check. Guys, David Wright's done. You know, we had Chris from MetsMoranedOnline.com last week giving his own personal take. Someone who has stenosis, who was a college athlete. It was almost a prophetic segment we did at the end of the show. The best thing the Mets can do right now is act as if Wright's never going to step on a field again because this is the same thing the Yankees went through. Maybe this is actually worse because Jeter was playing, or better depending on what you look at it because you know it's worse in the sense where you have all this money tied up into him for the next four years, and who knows what you're going to get. Jeter was actually on the field playing, but the Yankees he would, he so badly knew Jeter was not the best shortstop. Defensively, and he was not really a good offensive player anymore by the time his career was over. But you can't can't do anything because it's Derek Jeter. Um, you know, right is Mets are kind of in that that situation where Wright is kind of clogging things up. I mean, even the even when he was before all this 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 herniated disc happened, if he didn't play on the days he didn't play, you were basically playing a man short because he really wasn't a player you could count on on the bench. Takes a long time for him to get warmed up. The amount of work he had to do just to be on the field has to sap you over the course of a season. I mean, maybe you can get right good and healthy for about six to eight weeks, like you did last year. And essentially, you use those six to eight weeks in April and May. So I, I, I really think you got to get a reality check. You know, David Wright has some serious health issues, issues that are going to plague him the rest of his life. He should be worried more about being able to function as an individual. Uh, and, and right now, I'm not necessarily worried. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not worried, but I'm not. The biggest concern shouldn't be David Wright playing third base for the Mets, because right now, in the best interest of the Mets, offensively and defensively, David Wright is not the answer there. If Flores gives you what he did at short offensively, somewhere in that neighborhood, a little bit above league average, league average, that's what Wright was going to give you. I know it's not David Wright. I understand it's the captain, but this is Flores' chance to prove. He can start in the big leagues. This is his shot. You know, you don't get these all the time. You know, and I don't. And the the one thing about the Mets, I I'm not sure Flores and Diaz are guys that are excelling on those bench roles. I think they need to play a lot. I I, I don't see Flores excelling in that role. Uh, Diaz will see. He's hardly playing, so maybe that's a little unfair. So, but the point is, if, if you if you get what you what you would think Flores gave you last year, you know, 19, 20 home runs. 270, you know, power you know, good power uh, uh, from the position, uh, hits left-handed pitching at an OPS over 900. Then you need, you don't need to go out and search for the next Juan Uribe type. Um, you have him there, and, and Loney could do okay. He's a downgrade in the power department, but Loney is a guy that will do okay at first base. So then at that point, the catching position, Rene Rivera is all defense, no hit. He's basically a guy who pop your home run once in a while. That's it. And you have Darno coming back, and hopefully Darno's rotator cuff is not a situation which will keep him from being able to, um, uh, to play over an extended period. Because if you can't throw at that position, then you have a problem, and you have a huge problem. And then Rivera's got to play, and what the heck are you going to do with Darno? Can he play first base? I mean, that's a, you know, again, that's a question for another time. You've you got to get four runs a game out of this offense, and I think you can with what you have out there. I really do. I mean, if, if Flores plays to where, you know, if the guys hit to where they're supposed to hit, what they're capable of, the old back of the baseball card, then that's all they need. And four runs a game is not a lot, guys. I mean, listen, if the Mets score four runs a game, that puts them, uh, let me see here, it, it puts them at just a shade below, the league average is about 4.3, 4. 4.5 not even league average I'm not asking I'm asking to score as much as the Milwaukee Brewers do with the San Diego Padres you know and they're just a shade below that right now so and, and the reason why is because the, the pitching is really good Syndergaard and Matt's have been everything a one-two punch that you could ask for uh DeGrom seems to be coming along you know Harvey is not Harvey I didn't you know he was good against the White Sox that's a very positive sign and I'm glad we're not spending another podcast with the Harvey report he was good today, but he even admitted in the post game he was a shade tick below where he was on Monday. It certainly was more of a – there was more contact than you would like, but you'll take that. Right now he's your number four, number five star. You'll take that, and then you got Bartolo Colon who's a crafty veteran, and look, I'm, I've i said this. It's the same thing we went through with uh, watching Tom Glavin a few years ago. You don't know when Father Time calls up Bartolo Colon and says you're done. It could be tomorrow. We don't know. But keep taking these starts and the quality starts, a guy that could certainly give you six, seven innings and two, three runs. And that, that's all you need right there. And you know what? Logan Verrett is a good spot starter. You have Wheeler on the way. You know, you even have Sean Gilmartin down in Vegas, who I don't think is a, a bad option. I do think as much as uh, the bullpen has been much better than in prior years, you might need another arm out there because I don't trust Robles. I wonder if Jim Henderson is going to break down. Right now, you've got Addison Reed and, and Familia, which is a good end-of-the-game g- option. Familia's been shaky, but he's getting the job done. You could even make the argument that you could flip-flop Reed and Familia. I don't know if that would work. I don't know how that would work. That would be controversial, but you could flip-flop. And again, once you take Addison Reed out of the eighth inning, would he be as dominant? It, it, you know, it's the ninth inning, forget about what the stat guys say. It changes a lot of different things. It's not. It's not just any other inning. It changes a lot of things. and But, but when you look at it, but let's put it out there. Here's where the league is at. The Cubs are going to have their magical regular season. Just tip your hat to them. Let them have their fun. Good for them. Seeing Wrigley, seeing October, that place will be as tight as a, uh, a drum in the playoffs. Mets already went in there and beat them. They could beat them again. There's uh, champagne stains on the carpet, visiting clubhouse carpet in Wrigley Field that prove that. Not really worried about the Cubs. Let them have their fun. It has no bearing on the Mets other than home field advantage in the regular season. And, it's, and really what it's going to come down to is whether the Mets can win this division or they're going to be the, in the wild card. I mean, because I really can't see that it's not a matter, matter of them making the playoffs or not making the playoffs. But that's provided that the pitching stays healthy. I really don't see a scenario where they wouldn't be in the playoffs. And they're very evenly matched with the Washington Nationals. You know, 55 games in, that's what you see. Both teams have their limitations on offense. Both teams seem to have really good starting pitching. Both teams seem to have pretty good bullpens. Both teams' closers are a little shaky at times, and it really might come down to the head-to-head like it did last year between these two teams. So who else is there? If the Mets let's say the Mets don't win the division, well, you have the Pirates. You'll see the Pirates this week. The uh, you know the Pirates are pretty good. I mean, who else is there? I mean, do you think the Dodgers really have it in them? I wasn't crazy about the Dodgers. Yeah, they got Kershaw. But, you know, I feel like there's a lot of holes on that team. The Cardinals, a lot of offense. Pitching seems to struggle. I mean, you got to respect the Cardinals. You know, they were a 100-win team a year ago, but they haven't shown uh, me anything. The Marlins, you know, come on, guys. Jeffrey Lurie, I can't even uh, spend money to leave a doctor on site. You know, I mean, midst of scrambling trying to find uh, – think of all the places, South Florida, a place where you have probably the largest per- uh, percentage of senior citizens who probably need health care. You can't find a doctor to get Juan Lagares' thumb looked over in Miami. I mean, give me a break, but anyway, I digress on that. So that's it. You know, so if the Cardinals or the Dodgers or maybe the Marlins all of a sudden, you know, do something different than what you would, you know, you would expect the rest of this league is is garbage, man. It's garbage. Diamondbacks, the Padres, the Rockies, the Brewers. And that's, I mean, look, that's, you know, that's the national league this year. So the Mets are going to be in the playoffs you know, how they're the position they're in and, and, and whether they have home field or whether they have to play a, a winner take all playing game. You know, that's that's what the questions are gonna be. And I'm here I am at, at fifty five games. I could even you know argue do I give the Mets a B minus or a C. Um, you know, I think they could execute a little better in in, in some situations and, and at times I I feel Terry hasn't really shine in, in the dugout, but that's a good place to be. Um you just can't, you can't, listen, if you're if right now the, at 55 games in, I'm sitting here saying the Mets are going to be in the playoffs and it's just a matter of them making it through with some of the injuries they have, you know, guys like Harvey and DeGrom, you know, finding their way to top of the rotation status instead of just being, uh, you know, at times average, a lot of teams would take that. A lot of teams have serious pitching problems. They'll take that. And, uh, you know, it's a debate whether the eighth inning guy should be the ninth inning guy and vice versa, you know, that, that, Those are good places to be in, and the Mets haven't been in that place in a long time. So uh, that's where we're at, you know, a third of the way in, a good place to be, and and, um, I'm curious as I put this out. I'll be looking at the comments section at MetsMorizedOnline.com to see what your guys' thoughts are. So anyway, let's take a break. I have Russ Langer, the voice of the Las Vegas 51s, giving us a breakdown of how things are going for the Mets, top minor league affiliate. It's appropriate because with Lagarus now hurt, who knows? They may need to dip down there for another positional player. Uh, There's also a few arms of interest, so uh, sit tight. It's a good segment. Uh, you are listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show over at MetsMorizeOnline.com at the Talking Mets link on the menu on Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Of course, uh, you want to interact with me? Go to the uh, go to the Twitter. Go to see my Twitter handle at Mike Silva Media, and uh, we'll have some fun with it. We will be right back.
1: And the curveball slapped the left center over in the gap. Lagarus diving, and he made the catch. Lagaris saves two runs
2: with a brilliant catch.
1: That ball had very little air under it, and Ligaris had to go all out and lay out, and he picked it off before it could hit the grass. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best, unbiased, and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to Metsmerizedonline.com right now.
0: That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Mike Silva, Talking Mets Podcast, and I'm happy to have with me the voice of the Las Vegas 51s. He's also the 2015 Nevada Sportscaster of the Year, Russ Langer. Russ, uh, Mike Silva here in New York, uh, how you doing over there in Vegas?
1: Doing great. Doing great, Mike. It's a nice balmy 109 degrees today, so we're uh, hoping the team can be as hot <laughs> as the temperature.
0: And I'm complaining about 80, de- 80 degrees in humidity here in New York, Russ. Now you're making me look bad. Um, you know, as they say,
1: it's all it's all relative. <laughs>
0: It's all relative for sure. Hey, the fans here are always curious about the Pacific Coast League. It's so hard to evaluate numbers for the pitchers, for the hitters. Do we uh, make too much of this? You know, you watch Pacific Coast League baseball. G- give me an idea. Are we making a lot about the, the, the numbers and, and the offense and what have you?
1: Well, I think it's a, gr- it's a great point because the, the numbers are you have to sort of adjust for inflation, certainly. And I, in my time in the league, it's gotten a little bit better. It used to be when we had three teams in Canada uh, and, and before a couple of the, the cities started using humidors, as they do in Denver at Gorge Field, um, it was even tougher than it is now. But uh, I would say that if you want to get a, a really accurate idea about uh, about how, a, let's say, a relief pitcher is doing, take maybe three-quarters of a run off his ERA and take a full run off the ERA of a starting pitcher and you have a better idea. I think that that's a formula that seems to play uh, relatively fairly.
0: Well, there's a few prospects on the 51s we'll start on the offense, but the name that the fans are really interested in knowing a little bit more about is T.J. Rivera, especially because right now Mets struggling a little bit offensively. David Wright may be out for the year. Rivera's not a ballyhooed prospect. He's, um, he's a guy that just grinded it out, hit it every level, gets not a lot of love, uh, it looks like, from, uh, uh, from many of the, uh, the prognosticators. But, I mean, you look at the numbers, they're incredible.
1: They are, and they're very consistent. You're right. He's hit at every place he's been, every level. He's just very consistent, but he does not put up the flashy power numbers. He does not He's not going to overwhelm you with a lot of speed, but he just gets base hits. He stands in there, and it's very tough for the opposition to know how to pitch him because he's disciplined. He rarely swings it too much out of the strike zone. And in the clutch, he's been it. He's the leading RBI man in the PCL, as we speak today, with 46 runs batted in. And he's he's driving in. He's driving runs at a pace in a 144-game season, the PCL. He could drive in 135 runs at this pace.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah. Can he play third base on a consistent basis? What's What's he like defensively?
1: I think he can. He's a good third baseman. Uh, he went, I think it was something like 20-odd games and, and uh, close to maybe 50 or 55 chances before he actually made an error over there. And uh, he's a steady, consistent player. He's a good third baseman. Uh, He moves well to either side. He's got a nice arm, and uh, I think that uh, there's no question he could play third base.
0: I have with me Russ Langer, the uh, Las Vegas 51s uh, play-by-play man. Uh, Dilson Herrera, is Dilson Herrera ready, in your opinion, to play second base every day at an elite level offensively and defensively in the big leagues?
1: It's hard to know because he's been a little inconsistent at the plate. Uh, He started off okay. At one point, he got very hot. I think he had uh, five home runs over a span of six or seven days, and then he cooled off some. And lately he's leveled off a little bit. So it, it's hard for me to come out and right out and say, yes, he's ready to play second base every day. On the other hand, some guys, when they get up there, do elevate their game. And I think time is on his side. Uh, if he's not ready today, um, he could easily be ready at some point fairly soon because he's still quite young. And, uh, and I think that uh, he has the skills, It's certainly defensively, I, I think he's at least adequate at second base, and uh, you never know. At some point, he could uh, – uh, and he runs well. He could uh, he could be a guy that you could depend upon at some point in the future because he's so young. A
0: couple of uh, top prospects, Gavin Cicchini and Brandon Nimmo, are also in uh, Las Vegas. Give us some of your thoughts on those two guys because, again, those are two names that always get some attention over here.
1: Gavin Cicchini is a shortstop who has uh, shown he's got a quick bat uh, he's relatively well disciplined. He goes the opposite way very easily, and uh, I don't think a lot of pitchers like facing. Him. He's very pesky up there. Um, uh, he runs decently. The thing, the thing about Gavin, uh, there have been some issues in the field with his footwork. He made a lot of errors last year at Binghamton. Uh, he worked in the off season, I was told, uh, to try to comp- to try to improve that. Uh, but he's still making some some bad throws, and I think uh, from what I uh, when I talk to some people who know about infield play. They say it's his footwork that still needs some work. He's made a number of throws that have been off target. And uh, Mark Krause has saved several throws that other, would have, other first basemen probably wouldn't have saved in the dirt and, and up high. And so uh, Gavin's got to work on that.
0: And, and Brandon Nimmo, how is he progressing?
1: Brandon Nimmo got off to a so-so start. And he was there were some people who were starting to say, gee whiz, is, is this really the guy that Mets are you able to depend upon? But this is his first full year triple AAA. Of course, he was drafted as a high school, as you and many of your listeners will no doubt be aware. And in recently, in the last two weeks or so, uh, he's elevated his game. Uh, he's hit a lot more line drives. He's hit better in the clutch. And he's hit, I think, the, the, the single biggest improvement I have seen in Brandon Nimmo, his ability to hit lefties. He was helpless against lefties the first month and a month and a half of the season. And lately, he's picked it up. And just the other night in Reno, uh, the team was down 7-3 in the ninth inning and came back to win. And uh, they, they scored three runs to make it close, one out away from losing. There was a tough left-hander on the mound for Reno, uh, Steve Hathaway, kid from Cambridge, Massachusetts, who was trying to get the last out. And this, this is a lefty throwing 94-96. to 96. And Brandon hit a ball down the third baseline hard that went into the corner and scored uh, the tying and go-ahead runs. And he's been doing that type of thing a little bit more, so there's more reason for encouragement. He's 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 an above-average runner. Uh, His outfield play uh, in center field at first was not good. He was not taking good routes to the ball. He's he's worked hard. He's put probably a little too much pressure on himself because he was a first-round pick, but he's starting to get it a little bit more. And He's also playing the corners a little bit, playing a little bit of left field, a little bit of right field, uh, with there being some uncertainty as to where ultimately he might fit in. And He's showing some improvement defensively and a lot of improvement offensively in the last two weeks.
0: Russ Langer, of Las Vegas 51s play-by-play, man, uh, joining me right before uh, they play Tacoma tonight. Uh, I believe they are out in Vegas. And uh, let's move over to the pitching side. Looking at the game logs, uh, Rafael Montero, he, he was one of the guys that I personally thought was going to be right up there with uh, maybe not with Matt Harvey and with Noah Syndergaard, but I thought he'd be a real solid number three, number four in the big leagues by this time. He hasn't shown that. He hasn't showed any command when he's been up in the big leagues. Uh, from the game logs, Russ, he seems to still be up and down in Vegas, even since his demotion from uh, from when he was at the Mets earlier in the season.
1: Raphael, when he first opened the season here, had one good start, then he got called up. When he first got sent back down, he was not good. He was throwing too many pitches. It would take him typically 88 to 90 pitches to get through four or five innings, just grinding it out. And then they, he did a lot of work uh, with Frank Viola. Uh, they worked uh, very hard in some side sessions. And he has looked a lot better in most of his recent starts. I'd say four of his last five starts have been markedly better than they were back in that late April and the early part of May. So uh, yes, it's true. He was, uh, as a lot of folks know, mentioned in the same breath as as Syndergaard, Jake Degrom, Stephen Mats, etc. But um, then his stock slipped last year, and understandably so. But he does again not a not a guy who's been around a long time. He's only been. He's only 25, and he didn't really start pitching till he was 17, uh, even as an amateur. So, uh, again, a guy who has the stuff to compete at the big league level, he needs to smooth a few things out and be more consistent, and then uh, hopefully he can get there.
0: Gabriel Noah, the guy that we don't talk about, but has some decent numbers in the Pacific Coast League. Uh, what do you have to share with us on him?
1: Well, the thing about Gabriel Noah is that he, this is a really talented young pitcher, but because... He's in the same system as Syndergaard and Mats and DeGrom and Montero. He's been flying under the radar for the last couple of years, not gaining a lot of attention because unlike some of those pitchers, he never lit up the radar gun uh, in the mid to upper 90s. Now he does, he can throw uh, a, a four-seamer in the you know the 93, 94 range if he wants to, but he's been so successful with the, with the slower 88 to 90-mile-an-hour two-seamer, the sinker, um, he's been using that, and his command has been good enough but even in the hitter-friendly Pacific Coast League, for the most part, he's been able to get away with it. Uh, he's been good or great in basically 10 out of 11 starts. And uh, even now, his last start in Reno, uh, where they touched him up for five runs over six innings, his ERA uh, is still the fifth best in the league at 2 eight, And so he's not throwing uh, the strikes with the kind of walk-to-strikeout ratio that he did at the lower levels, but that's often the case in the PCL because of the way the ballparks play. Uh, guys will nibble a little more. But a guy, uh, a guy who really is, i tell you something, for a guy who just turned 23 less than a month ago, the best thing about Gabriel Linoa is his poise. He simply does not get rattled. When things are not going so well, he has the ability to just back off the mound for a moment and compose himself and then go after the hitter. Um, uh, I like, like him a, a tremendous amount.
0: The one guy I like, I saw him last year and he was up for a cup of coffee this year, is uh, Sean Gilmartin with Hansel Robles struggling a little bit. I know he's lefty, Gil Martin, but he doesn't seem to pitch just to lefties well. His splits are, are, are pretty good in, in, in his time with brief time with the Mets with the last year um, and into this year. What, what about Gil Martin? I, I think he's a big leaguer, and I just think he's in the wrong organization. I think he'd be on a on a pitching staff anywhere else.
1: You, you may be right about that. Certainly, Gil Martin. I, I think uh, if he's going to be uh, with a team like the Mets, I would think he's going to have some kind of role. For example, like long relief or, or middle relief, perhaps, but. Uh, this is a fellow who is, is a smart guy who, who knows how to change speeds and keep the hitters off balance. In his most recent start, uh, which was actually last night in, in Reno, he made a, an uncharacteristically poor start because he's getting a lot of his pitches up, and he, you can't get away with that. You know When you're throwing anywhere from, from, from 70 to 86 miles an hour um, at, at an elevation of 4,500 feet, you can't, get, you can't throw pitches up you know, thigh high to belt high and get away with it. But that was a, that was a blemish. He had a great April, not as good of a May. Uh, but a guy that I think could slot in as a long reliever because he's been around long enough now. Um, he's not he's not a kid, and yet he's not a, a grizzled veteran. He could probably I think he's poised enough and mature enough where if he was put in the long or middle relief role, he could probably do fairly well.
0: You know, we've talked about a lot of the names that everybody knows uh, over here in New York. Is there somebody that I'm missing? Somebody that you see every day and you're like, hey, you know, that's a guy that New Yorkers really should know a little bit more about, should be paying a little bit more attention to?
1: I think that it, if you're looking at, um, for example, the pitching staff, uh, one guy who's been a while, you know, you, you, everyone knows Josh Edgen, who's, who's trying to come back now. He was, he's been uh, out of action for a couple of days, uh, but should be pitching again very soon. Uh, certainly, a that he's a, he's a major league pitcher who happens to be at AAA. Um, his velocity is not quite back, a tour it was before the Tommy John surgery, but he's a, you know, this is a guy, I don't know, uh, honestly, Mike, when I've seen a guy get more swings and misses on 85 mile an hour pitches than Josh Edgen. I mean, he's got, he's got movement on his fastball, very good breaking ball. And that that break ball is devastating to the left-handed hitters at this level. Certainly the other fellow I would point to as far as pitching is concerned is Dwayne Bilo. Um, Again, you can't label him a prospect at 30 years old, but a guy who um, is, is, again, smart he throws, a, he throws a good sinker, good changeup, uh, and, and a, a nice breaking ball. He mixes things up, gets a lot of ground ball outs. Another possible long relief candidate and, uh, and one one of the real solid solid citizens on the team, too, a great clubhouse guy that everybody really likes. I'd say as far as the position players go, I think we've pretty much uh, covered most of what you need. I think you know, there are a couple of veterans here, like Roger Bernardino, who've been around a long time, um, who certainly could be an extra outkiller, extra left-handed bat off the bench because he's had a little bit of power and he runs very well and he's a very, very good outfielder. Uh, Aside from that, uh, I think we pretty much covered it. The other fellow that's here um, who was with the Milwaukee organization last year is a right-handed hitting catcher named Nevin Ashley. Uh, Ashley is a guy who – he's one of those great stories that you hear about every once in a while where a guy spends seven, eight, nine years in the minors and finally has a chance to play in the big leagues just briefly last year with Milwaukee, but a big – Right-handed hitting catcher, but catches well, throws well, works exceptionally well with the pitching staff. Uh, hit over 300 last year at Colorado Springs. Getting right around 280 for Vegas this year. Uh, a guy who certainly is a candidate to be a, a Rene Rivera type of backup at some point if needed.
0: And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Wally Backman and Frank Viola. I know we talk about these players as uh, New York uh, uh, fans and media because you're looking to fill the positions of the big league club. But you guys want to have fun out there. Your fans want to win. And uh, you're in the thick of the pennant race, you know. I think Viola does a great job with the pitchers. I've, I've spoken to Wally, and I have a lot of admiration for Wally. Uh, he's been in the organization a while. Uh, you guys um, seem to under Backman and Viola. You seem to be in the thick of things every year over there in Vegas.
1: No question, and it, and it is largely because of the staff. Yeah, they, we, we the team gets some good players. They've had some. they drafted some good players. Uh, this particular edition of the team does not have the mega pitching prospects of the, of the last few years. There's no Syndergaard, there's no Matt, there's no Degrom, but there are, as I mentioned, some useful guys here for sure. Uh, guys who definitely can contribute. And the staff, you know, Wally Backman is a guy. I mean, he could, he could, he could outmanage uh, uh, a lot of the guys in the big leagues probably right now because he just wants to win so badly. He prepares exceptionally, we're pouring over numbers, uh, you know, with an Earl Weaver type of intensity and uh, just a great, uh, great knowledge of what he and other players, opponents, players are capable of. And uh, you mentioned Frank always worked well with some of the pitchers. In fact, uh, Jack Voigt has made some nice contributions with some of the hitters also. So, yeah, this is a, this is a good – this is a solid outfit and a very good staff. And, uh, uh, again, they made the playoffs two out of three years. They almost won it last year. They got nosed out by one game at the end. And um, this year, uh I know everybody in the team expects to be right there toward the end.
0: Hey, before I let you go, sometimes the fans make trips to Vegas. Look, there's the casinos and there's all the fun uh, over there in Vegas. I'll be out there in August. But if they want to go to the ballpark, it seems like it's – I know it's an older park uh, where they play, but it sounds like you could still have a pretty good time watching the Vegas 51s uh, at the ballpark uh, on a sunny, you know, maybe Sunday or even on a Saturday evening. No
1: doubt. I mean, in in a city known for its entertainment options, this is the place to be, especially for families. So there's no, you can't beat the value. Yeah, you can, you can see a lot of splashy shows, and they're wonderful shows, by the way. Whether it's music or magic or or uh, the, the Cirque du Soleil programs, which are just eye-poppingly incredible. But you know, you gotta you gotta have a co-signer. <laughs> Let's face it, a lot of those shows and a lot of those dining options, a lot of the world-class dining options. Whereas here, you can come out and see some really, really fine, uh, fine uh, athletic entertainment, and and uh, and uh, you will. Uh, that you will not get uh, ripped off, as they say, coming out to Cashman Field. And, yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, it gets hot out here. But, you know, once the sun goes down and you're in your shorts and you have your cold drink, it's really not that bad. And then we have a misting section uh, for folks who want to get a little cold breeze, cool uh, uh, breeze full of mist. And then we have the club-level restaurant where folks can uh, be out of the environment, uh, that atmosphere entirely, and simply sit in air-conditioned comfort where there's a full-service restaurant and bar and, uh, and watch the game from up there. So it, there are reasons. Uh, this, it's not a great ballpark anymore. It's way past its prime. We, we definitely need a new one uh, for a lot of reasons, mostly the the uh, innards of the park, which are uh, not in good condition at all. But um, for fans who want to come out and enjoy themselves, uh, there there's a reason why this franchise has been around for 33 years.
0: Hey, Russ, you've been very generous of your time. I know you got the ball game coming up. Let's do this again. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, be good, and uh, and we'll talk again. I enjoyed it, Mike. Have a great weekend yourself. Take care. That's Russ Langer. Russ, uh, the play by play voice, the voice of the Las Vegas 51s, the Mets' top affiliate. Very interesting things he had to say, especially about Wally Backman. I, like I said, I'm not going to get into a long thing here, but sometimes you wonder if the Mets have the better manager and pitching coach at AAA, and uh, it's the equivalent of uh, having the better, like the Nationals have the better shortstop at AAA than, you know, with Trey Turner. Maybe the Mets have the better coaching staff at AAA, but, but I digress. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Danny Nobler of uh, Bleach Report, MLB lead writer. As I said, he, uh, he also uh, has worked for a long time for CBS, has been doing some work with ESPN regarding some of the proposed changes about the strike zone. I find it interesting because this could be a game changer. We've seen some of the changes in football. with uh, how it, Right now it seems like it's, it's John Madden football. Nobody can be touched. It's totally an offensive game. The NBA has moved away from the defensive-minded uh, type of uh, game that was played in the 90s. NHL outlawed the uh, neutral zone trap many years ago. So I, uh, all the sports have gone away from making it uh, a defensive sport to an offensive sport, and it could baseball be doing the same? So we'll uh, we'll have a chance to talk to Danny Nobler about that. We'll get his i. Get his thoughts about his ideas of uh, you know where is everybody now that we're like I said a third of the way in. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear his uh, his take. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host Mike Silva. We'll be right back.
2: You'll face James Loney with a go ahead run at first and nobody out. And Loney hits one in the air down the right field line, headed toward the corner. Stanton back looking up and it's out of here.
1: James Loney with his 100th career home run.
2: His first home run is a New York Mets. A two-run shot to put the Mets in front, 4-2. to two.
0: We're back. Talking Mets, Mike Silva here, and I'm happy to have have with us. Uh, you remember him from his time at CBS. Uh, he's now the MLB lead writer for the Bleach Report, Danny Nobler. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on around the league and also uh, some of the news that came out this week, and it's been talked about the last couple of weeks, where MLB is looking to make some changes with the strike zone. Danny, Mike Silva here in New York. Uh, how you doing? Mike, how are you Can't complain. Um, So let's get right into it, Danny. You know, I was saying a little bit earlier that, you know, the NBA has gone the way where offense has become a priority. You don't see the defense like you did in the 90s. The NFL looks like a video game at times or flag football, some say. I understand the NHL uh, got rid of the neutral zone trap many years ago. With shifts, with you know the reporting that Jason Stark did at ESPN regarding the drop in uh, the strike zone almost becoming below the knees, we know how difficult it is for hitters to, to do anything with those low pitches. Are we seeing in baseball the beginning with the committee recommending a change in the strike zone to what happened with the NFL, to what happened with the NBA, where they want to make it a more offensive game? I think to
2: a certain extent that's true. I think what they really want is to see that the ball is put in play more often. Uh, the strikeouts have gone so, up so much. And while people love a big strikeout game, Uh, if Max Scherzer going for 20 strikeouts, that's an exciting game. But your average game where maybe there's uh, 10 strikeouts, but it's among different pitchers, and then meanwhile there's a few walks and nothing happens during that time, that's not exciting. So what they want is to try to figure out a way to have the strike zone set up to encourage hitters to swing and put the ball in play. And what they had found was umpires, as the years have gone on, especially the last couple of years, that called lower and lower strikes. And what hitters will tell you is they're trying not to swing at those pitches because in a lot of cases all they're going to do if they do make contact with it is hit it on the ground. They want to hit a line drive. That's hard to do with the pitch. So they tend not to swing at it. They get mad at the umpire, because they also don't swing happens and you get a deeper count nobody really
0: wants. We we obviously know the hitters are going to like this. Uh, in your dealings around baseball, is there concern that it's going to create a little bit of chaos? Uh, anytime there's a change, there's an adjustment period. I remember many years ago in the late 80s, they messed around with the balk rule, and for about two months, <laughs> you, you saw everybody committing a balk, and then everything normalizes, and I know everybody's talking about the shift. What I worry about is that pitchers are all of a sudden going to be conscious of this. They're going to be getting the ball up more, and you know now you won't have steroids, but you'll have a different type of enhancement. And all of a sudden, you'll have another version of what we saw in the late '90s, which I mean has got pretty has been widely criticized for many years in the last you know decade or so.
2: Well, you're right, Mike. And here's the other thing about it: as Jason Story said, we have had a change in it. The umpires, as he pointed out over the last couple of years, have been calling pitches lower and lower as strikes. I'm not sure that we really need the rule to be changed more than we need just an adjustment to what the umpires are calling. And I I don't think baseball is looking for major, major changes. There haven't been major, major changes in the rules in a long, long time. And it's one of the things baseball prides itself on. But I can understand their interest in appealing to the newer generation and in trying to get some more action in the game.
0: It's amazing, though. I saw in Jason's article the amount of time in between action, and I know we're dealing with a totally different animal, but if you sat and watched a football game, there's more inaction in the football game than you ever would have (laughs) in a baseball game. But baseball gets knocked. Baseball gets knocked. So, again, I'm, I'm sounding like a curmudgeon, but I worry. I worry about... To me, a five to three crisp game, although there may be a lot of strikeouts and maybe goes a little long, is a heck of a lot better than thirteen to nine. Um, but I'm not part of that video game generation, so maybe they're not marketing or worried about me, so to speak. Uh, Mike, I don't
2: think they want thirteen to nine every night. I think, I, I think they want a, a little variety, and they also they don't want it to just continue down the trend where pitching dominates and the ball. They've seen the ball out of play more than it had been. And they don't want that trend to continue. I I think they would like to reverse it a little bit. but I don't think they're looking for a video game type major league baseball game. I think what they're looking for is just a little bit to head a little bit in the other direction, back to to kind of um, even the scales a little bit.
0: I remember talking to Kevin Long about two, three years ago. Uh, saying I thought it was a lot harder to hit now than ever before because of the data. This is before everybody was shifting like now. You watch a lot of games. You've watched a lot of games over your career. You think it's harder than ever for – forget the strike zone. But, I mean, I watch these games, and these guys are positioned perfectly. You almost feel bad for some of these hitters. They hit the ball on the screws, and there's the shortstop playing where you know, you know know the rover would play in softball. So uh, you feel it's and, harder and- than ever for these guys to hit?
2: I do, and I, I think there's, there, there is more video scouting that goes on. There's more data in terms of, now that works both ways. Hitters know more about pitchers also, but pitchers also know what zone they can go to to get somebody out much more accurately than they've known in the past. Now, can they get the ball there is the other situation. As far as the defense goes, not only are we seeing the shifts on the infield, but we're starting to see now much more done with outfield positioning based on data, which even two, three years ago, teams didn't feel very comfortable with being able to do that very accurately. I don't know how accurate they feel it is right now, but they're certainly trying more of it. And there's no question. It is more difficult to get hits because if nothing else, if defenders, are placed better than they were five, ten years ago, even three, four years ago.
0: You know, with the competition committee making this recommendation, do you feel this will go through as early as next year? There's still some hurdles, as the uh, the piece mentions. It's not a foregone conclusion. What's your feeling? That there is there an overwhelming support for changing the strike zone and get things moving in another direction?
2: I, I don't, to tell you the truth, Mike, I don't think a lot of people in the game have spent a lot of time thinking about this. It, it, it got some attention at the time the story came out, but I don't see it as being something that is a subject of daily conversation. And when I brought it up with players the night Jason wrote about it, it wasn't something, a guys oh, said, oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, that might not be a bad idea, but nobody is saying, oh boy, that would be great. That's, that would address a biggest the biggest problem we have in the game. So there are, I understand them trying to find ways to do things, but I don't think that, I don't know that there's a big groundswell towards it. Now, whether it happens or not, there's a lot of things going on in the game right now, especially with the, the discussions about the new CBA. And even though this doesn't have to be tied into the new CBA, any discussions about rules are going to be talked about in discussions for the new CBA. So I, it's really hard to say how, anything happened there are certainly as jason pointed out though people who want to see something happen so it wouldn't shock me if it did
0: danny nobler a lead mlb writer over at bleach report at danny nobler on twitter has a book out about the detroit tigers as well so you go check that out uh danny what are some of the stories that are interesting you were a third of the way through the season um you know more than 50 games in what are, what are you looking at? What are some of the things that have picked your interest as you've been covering the league over the last eight to, eight to ten weeks?
2: Yeah, well, you know, one thing, Mike, is that we talk about pitching dominating, and I don't know that that is totally true overall, but one thing that's happened is we have a, a, a real interesting thing going on with some of the top pitchers. The, the, the really, really good pitchers, the Ariettas and the Kershaws, are pitching better than ever. We have, we have a time where not only are there a few really good pitchers, but there's quite a few of them. And Chris Sale in the American League uh, and Jose Fernandez and uh, Madison Bumgarner, we're seeing some great, great performances. We're also seeing some great performances on the other side and I think the trend that we saw starting, you know, last year, maybe even the year before, towards some great, great young players coming into the game has only continued. We're we're in an era where there are some spectacular talents in the game, and we're getting a chance to see them. And the cool thing about it is it brings brings up the ability, the chance of arguing, people arguing about who you like better. People had always said Harper or Trout. And now people are asking whether Manny Machado should be in that same group. Uh, Corey Seager
1: off to a great
2: start with the Dodgers. Uh, you, you have uh, there's just there's just so many good players right now that it's fun to watch. And I think that's kind of the, the the trend that's of most interest to me right now.
0: You know, a couple other things before I let you go. When you look at both leagues, I feel the American League is a little bit more parity. You know, when you look at the standings, you got the the Cubs with what they're doing out in Chicago, the Nats and the Mets playing, you know, back and forth in the East. You got the Giants with a decent lead in the West. And then you got the Pirates who seem to be, again, that team that's going to be in the wild card hunt. Uh the Dodgers and Cardinals, I'm not so sure about yet. Miami, I don't really take all that seriously. But other than that, National League has got a lot of trash there at the bottom, for lack of a better word. Whereas the American League, you know, you might see a little bit more of a tight race, especially for the wild card. Do you agree with that? I mean, or is it too soon, in your opinion, to, to make that kind of a, a assertion?
2: Well, here's the thing, Mike. The, the, the trend you're seeing is true. There is more parity in the American League. But the question is, how much of that is because the top teams in the National League are better and how much of it is because the bottom teams in the National League are worse? The, the other trend that has gone on, and it's unmistakable, and I don't blame teams for doing it, given the way the rules are right now. But there are several teams that set up this year not with the intention of winning. You know, you, in this year, you've got the Braves, you've got the Reds, you've got the Brewers, you've got the Phillies, to a certain extent the Padres, maybe even the Rockies. And one thing you'll know, and the Brewers, one thing you'll notice about every one of those teams I mentioned, they're all in the National League. There are teams in the American League that aren't winning. The Twins would certainly be one of them. But there is not a team in the American League that went into this season thinking we're not even going to try to win this year because we don't think that's realistic, and we're building for the future. And part of building for the future is going to be trading away players who can help us now to get players, younger players, prospects, who may not even be in the big leagues this year, but maybe have a better chance of helping us in the future. And if we finish lower in the standings, that's okay because we'll get better draft picks and bigger pools to sign uh, free agent players, amateur players next year. So that is a big trend that's gone on. It has played out. It was talked about a lot going into the season, and in a lot of ways it has played out. The, the Phillies got off to a better start than they anticipated, just or anybody else did, but then they had just recently a seven-game losing streak that dropped them under 500, and they're probably going to stay there probably for most of the year. Uh, but that that is an absolute trend, and it is going to affect, number one, it will affect the trade market in the mi- middle of the season in July, and number two, it will affect the, the, the races for the playoffs because in the National League you have fewer teams chasing the same number of spots.
0: It's a sports problem. Look, the NBA has got this issue, um, You know, not so much in the NFL, but maybe to a certain extent. Uh, it's the new tanking philosophy. I guess the way the front offices look at it, it's great for franchise building. It's uh, you know it's like fantasy baseball or you know fantasy mogul baseball. I don't think their their attendance is necessarily going to suffer. Um, but I wonder. I mean, it, you look at it. It's it's an odd way of looking at it because now really you're not out of it until 80 games in now with the second wild card. You know, 20 years ago you had to win a division. 25 years ago, and it's almost like teams are giving up now more now with more playoff spots than they did 25 years ago when you had basically four playoff teams. It's, it's just interesting to see. That's true,
2: but there's also differences in the rules in terms of how you acquire players. And the other thing is, because it's become a younger man's game, in part because of more testing for PEDs, what you have is, and, be, and that's one reason, and because also team the revenues have gone up so much that teams have money, the free agent markets, have not been nearly as good. Everybody's talking about the 2018 free agent market and how good it will be, and maybe it will be, because it's possible that none of those guys who are potential free agents are going to sign. But already this year, we had one big surprise, Steven Strasburg re-signing with the Washington Nationals. And one of the things that did is it took an already weak free agent market for next winter and made it even weaker. If you cannot go on the free agent market and get talent, you have to find another way. And, and the one way to do it is to either trade your guys for young players or fall, fall enough in the standings that you get a bigger pool and a higher draft pick and you can get more players. The Cubs and the Astros, among other teams, help rebuild their teams this way. Other teams see it as attractive. Now, the problem is they're still charging major league prices to go watch their games, and they're not providing a major league product. And you got really you got to get
0: lucky. You got to get lucky. Mets you know, got lucky. No Asheville's question. got lucky. And, with, and the Cubs got lucky. I mean, that's part of being good. We, you know, it's a product of design. But they got really lucky, all three of those teams. And and that's
2: and, and that's where I, I don't know if do the brakes. It becomes
0: are. even harder. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you could follow Danny on Twitter at uh, Danny Nobler. Um, obviously, MLB lead writer for Bleach Report. His book, uh, Numbers Don't Lie: The Biggest Numbers in Detroit Tigers History. What do you got coming up, Danny? That you want the listeners to know about?
2: Well, uh, uh, working on a, a couple of stories we'll have in the next few weeks. Uh, one, we're doing something uh, that'll be out in a couple of weeks on Noah Syndergaard, who's really an interesting guy to watch. And you talk, We talked earlier about the exciting pitchers in the game, and Noah is certainly one of them and unique in a lot of wa- I- I ways in, in the type of pitcher he is. You just don't see other guys who are that big, that strong, that throw that hard consistently from the first inning to the uh, – seventh or whatever the final winning he throws this in the game uh so i got something coming up on him we've got some other uh stories i know bleacher i'm not involved in the coverage but bleacher report's going to be involved in a lot of coverage of the draft next week uh because i've that's become a big deal especially with fans of teams that have been tanking right <laughs> so there's going to be some of that <laughs> and uh and and there'll be some other stories coming up too we'll We've got a lot of different things we're working on because there's a lot of interesting topics in baseball right now.
0: Cool. Listen, you've been very generous with your time on a weekend. Thanks a lot. Let's do this again and uh, continue the good work uh, at Bleacher Report.
2: Thanks very much, Mike. Good to talk to
0: you. And that's Danny Nobler, Bleacher Report. Check him out on Twitter at Danny Nobler. Uh, final thoughts. Let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll wrap up right after this.
2: Home run, three
1: RBIs, and two runs scored. grounds one wide right at Cabrera. Hitting over. Like it's twenty thirteen all over again.
0: i podcast. Hope everybody's enjoyed today's show. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, look, I, I think Danny made some great points. The tanking is a, is a, is an interesting problem. And my biggest thing is this, is that I like the way baseball is now. I, I like baseball in the nineties. Don't get me wrong. And I've always argued with those who you know, talk about the steroid era, but um, I think a combo of what you have. And I think a lot of times what you have now is a combo of what you saw in the nineties. And, um, you know what you have now, which is more of a normalized game. Uh, you know, pitchers could actually get through more than five or six innings. I mean, the '90s was five innings, get it to your bullpen, and uh, a lot of slugging, and you, you really couldn't make it through. I mean, no lead was safe, it seemed like. And now you you have a four nothing lead, you actually could breathe a little bit. Even Colorado, although it's a wacky place, is is uh, is, is somewhat normal for uh, for a baseball game, for a Major League baseball game. And look, I, I love the NBA, and, and I, I do agree that it's probably a better brand of basketball now than it was in the 90s. And I'm a Knicks fan, so I'm biased. So I didn't mind the 90s. Uh, and it's fun for a fantasy football player to look at the NFL, and uh, and have a receiver put up 40 points on a Sunday for their fantasy team because nobody could touch him in the end zone. But to me, there's a certain amount of um, carnival to that kind of stuff. And I'm always, you know, my foundation has been pitching defense. Defense up the middle, you know. In the NBA, it's been hard-nosed defense. That's my foundation. That's the kind of sports that I grew up on. Uh, you know, watching teams like the Giants win the Super Bowl on defense, and the Knicks compete under Pat Riley and Jeff Van Gundy on defense, and the Mets built on pitching uh, for the in the '80s, and it changed a little bit in, in in the '90s. But now they're 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 built on pitching again. So I guess I'm a little biased. I was a little concerned. It looks like Danny is. Uh, saying that I'm making more of it uh, than, than maybe the, the league is. And, and, of course, in the in the era of media, we have to make a story out of everything. So, you know, maybe that's what's going on. So some interesting things to, that Danny Noble had to say, some interesting things from Russell Langer, uh, had you know some very interesting things to say about Wally Backman. So uh, I want to thank those two guys uh, for their contributions on today's, uh, today's podcast. So that's it. We're out of time. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, again, I want to thank Danny Nobler. Check him out on Twitter at Danny Nobler. Russ Langer, uh, the voice of the Las Vegas 51s. I want to thank him. And, of course, you can check out this show all the time on com, Go to the Talking Mets link. Check me out at, at Mike Silver Media on, on Twitter. You guys have a good rest of the weekend. Take care.